0: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Year in review slash predictions for the next year. Once again, last year we brought in Rebecca, and once again we've brought her back in. This is Rebecca Taves of our communications side of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Welcome back. Hello,
1: everyone. I'm happy to be here.
0: We're glad to have you back. And we have a new face on the show, a new New voice. voice on the show as well. His face is new. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Nick Stumo Langer.
2: Yep. Am I saying that right? Yes, you're saying it just correct.
0: I've only ever had to really read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, Lisa cannot be here today. Uh, we miss her greatly, but we hope that she's having a, a great time um, with her family right now over the holidays. Um, but we had to record the show without her, alas. And that also means if it's edited a little bit more roughly, it's because either Chris or Rebecca did it. <laughs> and we were lacking Lisa's It also Lisa's means talent. that
1: if we have no voice of reason and wisdom, that's why. <laughs> yes, that's a
0: distinct possibility. So uh, we thought we would start by doing a little um, recap of um, last year's show. Um, let's talk about some of the predictions we made last year. And then after we do that, we can talk about how 2015 actually went.
1: Yeah, so 2015 was a huge year. Uh, we had the merger between uh, Comcast and AT&T that was voted down. And that was...
0: Something that both Lisa and I predicted.
1: Yes, it was. <laughs>
0: and we're very excited when it happened, and I continue to be very excited, although the FCC has just produced um, approved another merger, and they approved AT&T, DirecTV, and... A number of other ones that I think are quite harmful, but sort of the march, to industry consolidation continues despite um, one fairly significant setback for it.
1: Right. And that was something that I wanted to ask you about, too, is whether or not that's something that is still a concern. And I don't know if you want to get into that at all, but...
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's absolutely a concern. I mean, there is way too much consolidation. You look at the power of these companies, not just in the marketplace, which is the first place that everyone looks but their power to set policy at the government, their ability to lobby the federal government, state governments, local governments. I mean, if you had 10 or 15 different cable companies that were each you know, individually lobbying, and they had the same number of lobbyists even, they would not have the same impact as if you have one coordinated company that's going out and golfing with the president of the United States and basically pushing their agenda. Um, I mean, this is one of the biggest problems of the consolidation: is that it perverts the political process, and then that ultimately makes it harder for more competition to emerge, and that's basically how we get monopolies. So
1: it seems like the Comcast merger had a lot of a lot of people that were you know against it and upset about it, and people commented and things like that. The Time Warner Cable merger seemed to go through fairly quickly and uneventfully. Is there? Well, Time Warner Cable and Charter
0: has not gone through yet. Um, That remains to be seen. And I think it's just harder to organize against because Comcast is so large. Most people have dealt with it. Most people are horrified at how terrible it's been for them. And so the idea of Comcast getting even larger is more dangerous. Now... The combining of Time Warner Cable and Charter will be very bad for the industry for a variety of reasons, but it will still be smaller than Comcast. So it's a little bit harder um, to to oppose. I mean, it's kind of like – it's one of those things where it's like Comcast is terrible and – well, can we stop someone from being a little bit less terrible than them or, or are we obligated because of how terrible Comcast is to let other companies be that terrible as well in terms of their impact on the political process and their ability to set policy and distort the marketplace? Um, you know, I, I still hope we can stop that. I think it's a harder lift. hmm.
2: You said that corporate consolidation is continuing, but do you think it's inevitable? Just that it's going to keep, they're going to keep trying or something like that?
0: Oh, they will absolutely keep trying. They'd be crazy not to, given the gains that they individually get, if they can do it. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, and this is, uh, people often talk about this, one small party has a ton to gain in terms of being able to, um, you know, drive up rates And and distort the marketplace and really basically establish a monopoly with this cable power. Um, All of us have an interest, a small interest, in not seeing that happen because our bills go up a little bit every year and we have fewer choices and we don't know what ways that innovation is set back, right? We don't know what devices might have come out or what new services might have come out if uh, we had more innovation. So it's harder for us to organize and oppose it because for each of us it's a small interest. And even though there's uh, hundreds of millions of us that have that small interest, uh, we don't put as much time into it. Whereas, for the people who are going to make millions of dollars by combining, or even ultimately billions, when you look at all the shareholders and the CEOs and everything else who are making billions of dollars off of these mergers, they're going to put everything they can into it.
2: So then what do we as citizens and we at ILSR do?
0: (laughs) Well, the first thing is, I think, to have a knee-jerk opposition to mergers. Uh you know I don't know that we should always oppose every merger but I think our first suspicion should be that it's a bad idea and we need to say that where we have these really big firms like Comcast we need to urge them to be broken up and you know much like we broke up AT&T and then stupidly allowed it to basically come back together to form that same oppressive kind of large company we need to break them up and we need to keep them separate and that's something that's hard because once again they will be fighting tooth and nail to try and get big again so that they can again extort these monopoly profits from us.
1: Now you were talking earlier but that's you know, one party has a lot to game and and one might not. But it seemed to me in twenty fifteen that there was some some parties coming together on, on the issue of at least municipal broadband. Do you see that? Do you see that as true or do you see that continuing into 2016 at all?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a lot more interest. I mean, the the Colorado vote was incredible. Um, the, um, The number of communities that are examining their options is definitely growing. And I actually think that is a slightly different problem in terms of everyone having a small interest because I actually think that when you look at a community network, everyone has a slightly larger interest. And it's easier to organize in your community than it is to organize across a state or across the entire country. Um, And finally, I'll just note that when you're trying to organize to build something, you may not need to organize as much because there's typically not a coordinated opposition that's in the community to a municipal network. You know, there's a coordinated, like tens of millions of dollars have been spent on strategy for how Comcast and Time Warner Cable can get bigger. Nobody is spending tens of millions of dollars to stop a single municipal network. And that's where locally you can take action that is it's harder for the, the monopolists and the, the consolidators to stop you.
1: Let's talk about Colorado. That was one that was one of our predictions in in twenty fifteen. Right. I think
0: I actually predicted that fifty communities would vote in November. I was it was very far-sighted of me.
1: <laughs> Wait, was it fifty or what was the actual number? No, it was
0: in the high forties. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, for everyone who um saw that, Nick did a lot of the work on that. So um thank you for that, because it was one of our biggest <laughs> stories. Um No, I think, you know, Lisa predicted that we would see more models, and I think we've seen some of that. I think Colorado shows how much interest there is, and I think we're going to see more models coming out of that. Um, you know, we've seen um, with um, Santa Cruz moving forward with Cruzio, or Cruzio, depending on how you say it. Um, it's a partnership that's similar to Westminster, um, and and we're seeing the the main model moving forward so rapidly. I think we are seeing these new models, and when there's new models, there's a better opportunity for communities to fit their unique mix of challenges and assets or their opportunities. To a better model, you know, if you can, you can think there might. If there was only two models, one was what we might think of as a as a Chattanooga, Lafayette, Wilson type model of citywide utility, um, broadband, internet, um, um, telephone, and television, um, or one other model which was just doing dark fiber. There's a lot of communities that wouldn't want to do either of those. They might want to look at something in between. And so, if we have a continuum of options, as we continue to develop that we'll see more communities have the ability to pick something that will work for them.
1: What about Massachusetts? Do you see that as a model, or is that just a thing that's happening?
0: Well, I think you mean with Wired West and that sort of thing. I mean, Massachusetts is sort of broken into three areas, I think. It's sort of the the metro regions, which are still trying to figure out what they can do. Because compared to the rest of the state, they have decent service from Comcast, and some of them have fiber from Verizon. Um, You know, east of there on the Cape, you have a bunch of communities that are organizing around. They're terrific. Um, the, the network that they built with the stimulus dollars. Um, and then on the Western side, you've got the Wired West folks who have organized very locally and had been hoping and been told by the Massachusetts Broadband Institute that they were going to get um, this matching funds or get a significant subsidy to help build the cost of their network in this very rural region. And in the past few weeks, we've seen that sort of blow up. And I'm frankly a bit stunned, I guess, but not too surprised. I think, you know, MBI, the Massachusetts Broadband Institute, has long had rose colored glasses on in terms of what the middle mile investment would take. I don't think they've they've really fully understand the challenges of building in these areas. And I don't know who's advising them, but I think the reason that they've given for trying to blow up Wired West are pretty pitiful. Um and I'd and really hope that they're able to come back together and find a solution that works where Wired West can get access to some of that the money that, that MBI has to improve access. Um, because the MBI strategy has been helpful to some communities, but frankly, uh, the idea of building middle-mile networks continues to be oversold. Um, middle-mile is important. Uh, But middle mile investment does not get you last mile investment. You know, If we had great middle mile everywhere, we would still have a tremendous need to have better last mile investment. And that's because the barrier to last mile investment is capital cost. The cost of building those networks to everyone's home is very expensive. If you have a great middle mile network, that means that once you've built your last mile, you'll have a more affordable business plan. And so your business plan will work better. But that doesn't help you to actually raise the capital of building the last mile network. So I mean, I would say we, we need more middle mile and more last mile. But fundamentally, if we build more middle mile, it really doesn't help us a whole lot in getting better last mile.
2: It seems like part of the concerns are on the end stage
0: ownership of the actual network. How does that fit within those concerns? Well... So we're very supportive of both cooperatives and municipalities, and I think MBI is concerned because the cities and towns in Massachusetts have entered into a cooperative. And in doing so, they gain certain advantages in terms of aggregating size, but they are certainly losing some autonomy. I understand that that MBI is, is concerned about that loss of autonomy and the idea that if Wired West does not work out, then those communities will have fewer options. However, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, and I think that Wired West gives them the best opportunity to move forward with a business model that will work. I mean, if you have these towns working individually, towns of a few hundred or a thousand, it's very difficult to get the economics of this to work on a one-by-one. One. But if you get everyone to work together, it will work better, and yes, you will have less local autonomy which is something we're obviously concerned about but they're in a co-op right and so as long as as the co-op continues to reflect these local interests they should be able to work it out and not only that i mean let me just say with my tongue in my cheek these towns need something to fight about i mean small towns across america want to find reasons to argue with their neighbors in many cases and i think we should not think that there's anything we can do to stop that
1: I'm going to stop you there, though, because you said we don't have a crystal ball. And the entire point of this conversation was to talk about predictions for 2016. So I want to know what you think about the uh, Tennessee, North Carolina, FCC.
0: The Sixth Circuit Appeal. Appeal, yeah. yeah, so the FCC rolled back these state laws in Tennessee and North Carolina, um, which was something that uh, Lisa and I predicted would happen. I mean, it wasn't that hard. Ding, ding, ding. We, we predicted it been in, been in December, and it happened in February. I think it, we, we had a good sense that that was what was going to happen. Um, certainly, at least, strong hope. Um, but now it's being appealed. And um, my prediction is that we won't get an answer in 2016. I'm quite afraid that this will drag on. Um and and I'm afraid that if we get an answer in the first six months of twenty sixteen, it'll be a bad answer. Um but if it goes into oral arguments and then longer, I'm not sure that that we'll know. If we find out toward the end of twenty sixteen, um I think that's more likely than in the earlier. But it's a complicated issue. These courts take their time with it. So um I'm I'm not really sure. I think we have a, a really strong argument. I also think that there are um, that we're very concerned about what the federal government's powers are relative to states, and and therefore relative to municipalities. Um, so, you know, we we didn't enter into this because we thought the federal government should be setting policy for everyone, but we believe that communities should have the authority, and that when the federal government is acting on behalf of promoting more local choice by stopping states from stopping their subordinates from these. Um, transparent attempts to limit local authority and competition um, that it's a good role for the federal government particularly when it comes to the FCC's uh, requirements to expand uh, broadband investment so I would just say you know it's complicated I and mean, we've we haven't come in saying it's a it's an open and shut case um, but I think it's a terrific discussion and it's clearly led to more discussion in Tennessee Uh, And that's where I actually think we'll see. Before this case is decided, I think Tennessee will roll back its barrier on its own. That's my hope. And I think that if people in Tennessee continue to organize around it, it'll happen. Yeah, North Carolina's attorney general, a Democrat, running for governor, does not want to be on record trying to stop better broadband from being expanded around the state. And so he has appealed it, um, but nonetheless has said it is a really bad law and he would like to see it um, disappear. Uh, I hope he stands true to that.
1: Mm-hmm. I wish that I had made my prediction before you made your prediction because I'm guessing you're going to be right, but i was I was interested because it is in North Carolina that uh they have moved forward with uh green lights move forward with expanding outside of their boundaries.
0: Yes, the city of wilson has has connected a small town near it, which is outside of the county, which um, per North Carolina law, prior to February of last year, uh, was impermissible. Now they have the ability. Pine Tops invited them in and they have expanded. And I've heard from one firsthand or one I heard a secondhand from someone who knows somebody there personally that uh, it's wonderful and they're so excited to have a real actual internet service that's high quality. I think before they only had a very low quality DSL option. So, um, so Wilson has moved forward even with the appeal. And I... If the FCC's order is denied by the courts um, and the Supreme Court either affirms that or does not take the case, if if the FCC basically is as though it never did anything, I suspect that North Carolina will just grandfather in that as well because I can't see Time Warner Cable having so much power in North Carolina that they force Wilson to to sell it or to do something like that.
1: I was wondering about that, whether or not you think they're banking on – being grandfathered in or if you think they're just so overconfident that they're going to well, move forward?
0: i it's a very good question. It's one of those things where I think they're taking a risk, but the people nearby in Pine tops they need something. I mean, you know, this isn't just something where it's like, oh, it'd be nice if we had it. I'm sure their economy is suffering from their lack of Internet access. And so, you know, I, I have to I have to think that Wilson, which are, which has long, I mean, Wilson was one of the first cities in the country to build an electric utility. These guys are far-thinking people in the community. I don't know if it's something in the water or what, but they've they've have a history of serving their neighbors and helping them out. Wilson built its own electric utility, and now it serves communities across six counties. Um, I think that they would like to do that again and they, they have a great relationship with those people. And so I think they, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, probably a decision that they made saying, well, there is a risk, but we care enough about our neighbors that for us the risk is worth it.
2: It is a ringing endorsement for local concerns versus what's happening in the halls of the Sixth Court of Appeals or possibly the Supreme Court, you know. There's an actual reality here where people can't access the internet and can't do their daily business.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, this is a, you know, sometimes when you're reading these court cases, you just sort of just think, you just feel like, oh, it's about the state's position relative to the federal government's position. It's not. Well, it's actually about, you know, people's ability to educate their children. It's, mm. it's about people's ability to access health care. It's it's tremendous in terms of the importance and, and if we just wait extra years, that's harm that's being done.
1: I want to do a quick fire round. More multi-city cooperatives in 2016? Oh
0: yeah, I think so. I think I don't know that we'll see a lot of them um, you know, established and building networks, but I think we're going to see a movement in that direction and we'll see a few established. But we'll see the groundwork for more that are going to be done in 2017.
1: Colorado law rescinded or stays put? Ooh,
0: that's a good question. I mean, you know, I think this Colorado law stays put because I think there's a strong movement to rescind it. And I think the cable and telephone companies work really hard to try and attach conditions to it. So the Colorado law is basically a referendum, a requirement. And I think the cable and telephone companies will say, okay, we'll get rid of the referendum requirement, but you'll have to jump through these other hoops. And frankly, it's not worth changing the law if that's the situation because we know how to deal with the referendum requirement. The new hoops would create new barriers and would be probably more onerous. So I think there will be an effort to, re- to remove the, the referendum. I think there will be conditions and the bill will die and will we'll be kept in the same position.
1: More, more large cities uh, getting municipal broadband networks.
0: Well, when you say getting or municipal any. broadband networks, that's a it's a hard question because it depends on where you draw that line. I mean, I think we're going to continue to see New York City doing really smart things in terms of moving in that direction to improve service. Whether that means the city itself is doing dark fiber, maybe. Um, is the city going to be providing services? Unlikely. Um, you know, the city is doing Wi-Fi already. Um, so... Uh, I think we 're going to see moving in that direction more. Uh, you know I think we 're going to see Seattle continuing to try and figure out how they can deal with. Improving digital inclusion with uh, municipal investments, and I'm hoping that we can steer that in the most positive direction possible. I think we're going to be seeing that in Baltimore. Um, you know, I think you know in other cities we're going to be seeing more effort in this direction. Um, but I, you know, it's, it continues to be a hard fight. What I'd really like to see, and I hope we see, is Boston using some of its massive fiber to lease that out to existing providers like NetBlazer that have done a wonderful job. Um, and maybe look to serving some of them themselves. You know, the question for me, though, is also not just the big cities, but like cities like Cambridge that are a part of Boston. And that's where I really hope to see. Bedroom
1: communities, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Cambridge is sort of a pretty interesting bedroom community. It's a dorm (laughs) community, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, but they have such tremendous potential. And I think that for a long time, they've been subject to the same sorts of Um, constraints as big cities so i'm hoping to see more of them as well but i think we're going to see you know i'm afraid we're going to see google fiber continue to grow or the announcements continue to grow at a rapid rate and i i'm thrilled thrilled to see google going into places like los angeles and chicago where i do not expect to see a path to municipal type networks um, you know, I think they could do some interesting stuff, but I don't think they were on a path to do it. So if Google wants to build out there and provide competition, that's great. I'd rather see Google building there than in places that could build their own. And by that, I would I'd include places like Portland and Palo Alto. They've been lacking in the will to actually pull the trigger and get this done.
1: Do you see tech towns like Palo Alto sort of igniting a movement and, and maybe recognizing that they have a a, a real need for... For
0: doing this, I don't think so. I mean, I, and I, when I say that, I don't see that they're going to be the leaders in this. I already think Palo Alto, for instance, is not a leader in this. Um, Palo Alto has um, has you know hired consultants that have told it in the past, not its current consultant, but in the past that AT and T and Comcast were doing a fine job. If I, was in the city, if I was in the city of Palo Alto and I was told that by a consultant, I'm not sure if I would laugh or, 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 or kick the guy out of the room, but I'll tell you what, i do one or the other. Um, you know, I think who's leading the pack are the communities that have a stronger desire, um, the communities that want to be the next Palo Alto and recognize they have to change the rules of the game.
1: How about all-purpose fiber network smart grids? Like Chattanooga. Like, you know, they have the the energy grid, the smart grid, and then the broadband also.
0: Well, I absolutely think we'll continue to see that, especially in places like Tennessee, where we see the Tennessee Valley Authority, one of the best government investments in the history of mankind, I think, in terms of, of building infrastructure and doing it in an effective way. Um, I think that... Um, that we will see them continue to do that because they have, um, you know, they have Chattanooga there. They have a lot of other cities that have been very innovative and working and thinking about this. And so they have that culture where they can share those sort of best practices. I don't know if we're going to see on the West Coast as much, for instance. I just, you know, when it comes down to the weather and the climate on the West Coast, I don't know that they've seen as much benefits from the smart grid and that sort of thing.
1: They can get outside more. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot of things they could be doing, but I just hear from their utilities that they don't have the same driving motivation, say, as utilities that experience hurricanes and ice storms and other kinds of things that disrupt industry.
1: And what about statewide networks like Maine, Illinois, uh, Middle Mile?
0: I think we're going to see some more of that. You know, Kentucky was a big one this year. Kentucky built their Middle Mile network, um, I think, in a very sensible way in the sense of all that money that the state was pouring into telecommunications contracts around the state. Uh, they're now going to be having their own network, which will be open access, and they're worked with the firm Macquarie to do it. I think from what I can tell, Macquarie is so difficult to deal with in terms of, of all the different contract variables and negotiations and, and the fact that they're so big and powerful. I'm not sure that we're going to see many that are able to negotiate with Macquarie. States could, and I think some states will. Um, So we'll see more of those sorts of approaches, I think. And that's way better than a state like Wisconsin, which just throws money at AT AT&T hand over fist. Um, You know, it's just for me, it's really frustrating to see a state that's just basically subsidizing monopoly rather than trying to find ways of driving competition out into the communities, which is what states should be doing with their telecom policies. So I think we'll see some more growth of that. But I don't think states have yet figured it out. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of states doing dumb things like Iowa. Iowa, which recogn- which basically looks at Cedar Falls, you know, the fastest, most well-connected community in the state and says, yeah, we're going to ignore them. And we're going to figure out how to just throw money at maybe CenturyLink or Mediacom or someone because they're the ones that are lobbying me in my office as governor. Um, just embarrassingly dumb policy. Um, You know, and we'll see places like Minnesota where they've continued to have a decent policy that's totally underfunded. Um, I think states still need another year or two before they get serious about um, smart policy and putting money behind it. Until then, we'll be treated to all kinds of elected officials that say at the state level and the federal level, broadband's really important and we got to connect people to the Internet as long as it doesn't mean upsetting people like Comcast who are writing me big checks. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't expect to see a lot of changes at the state level in 2016. I, I sort of, I think this will be the last year, I hope, where we see states um, talking one way and walking a different way. I'm hoping to see that a few states will get ahead and they'll teach lessons to the other states over the course of this next year.
1: It wasn't as rapid of a rapid fire as I had thought it was going to be.
0: It started off rapid fire, but then I just kept talking and you didn't <laughs> cut me off. So, so surprisingly <laughs> enough. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, this has been a different kind of show um, in terms of predictions. I think we got some good predictions in. Um, I think, frankly, it's a little more useful than just saying, you know, in what month I think something's going to happen. But um, it would have been better with Lisa. and um, true. And so, Lisa, we miss you in the office. We look forward to having you back with us. And uh, to everyone else, uh, we say we hope you have had a happy Christmas if you are celebrating it a happy Hanukkah both of them are behind us as you're listening to this but have a great new year and we'll see you again in January
2: thank you very
1: much see you later